Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are going to be listening to me in just a bit on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, I say in just a bit, you'll hear me go off, unpack, uh, dive right on in. Um, but I always like to go to a quick disclaimer first. So that's what, exactly what we're going to do. And then we'll come back and <laughs> do everything that I just said, unpack and all the rest. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman. So there's so much going on right now. It's really incredible. It, it's never boring, actually. And that's, I want to say that's not a bad thing, but sometimes it's good to be, I don't want to necessarily go as far as to say bored, but sometimes it's it's nice to just kind of sit there and, and just not really have to think too much and just kind of be. <laughs> but the political scene, uh, certainly in Boston and in many other places, I would say pretty much everywhere in Massachusetts, I don't know any place that's kind of uh, devoid of politics, <laughs> whether we're talking small P or capital P. Uh, but certainly in Boston, uh, there's been so much to talk about. And I look forward to the discussion, even if the perspective doesn't mesh with mine. The only thing that I'll ask is people come informed. And that's kind of going to be the theme of tonight's show, being informed. Because it's not just enough to be there, open up one's mouth, and opine, I think it's really important to be informed. <laughs> it's really important on the most fundamental level possible to know what you're talking about. I would say that I was blessed Looking back, I would definitely say that I was blessed growing up because I had a no-nonsense grandmother from Roxbury, from the Roxbury neighborhood of Boston. For those of you who are a little bit further away, uh, perhaps you might be less uh, familiar with the geography of Boston. Uh, we're very much a city of neighborhoods. That's what we call ourselves. And there are 22 neighborhoods in all. And some of the neighborhoods... Uh, in fact, many of the neighborhoods are further broken up uh, into sections, parts of neighborhoods. Uh, so it's really, it's, it's quite an interesting uh, city, uh, certainly in terms of the different cultures, the different 
perspectives, I, could, I guess I could use that word, and I would say the different histories. But what I think is the most spectacular, interesting, I'll use that word again, interesting thing of all, is how notwithstanding all those different cultures and perspectives and histories, it all comes together, and we're all Bostonians at the end of the day. It really is a remarkable city. But to get back to the theme of tonight's show, being informed, uh, you know, certainly uh, in politics here in Boston, there is never <laughs> a shortage of of topics to to discuss. There's never a shortage of issues to debate. And there is never a shortage of people to bounce ideas off of. I think that it, it's it really is a very special, special place. But I think that the the people that we have representing us at the moment and the people who are making the loudest voices in the marketplace of ideas, I don't think they reflect that brilliance, that creativity, that innovation. And I'd like to see that change. And I want to give some examples. And I also... Maybe before I, I give examples, I should maybe preface it by saying that when you travel around the world and you say that you're from Boston, that means a lot in many different places. I certainly remember when I was abroad and when I was living as a foreigner at the time, I don't even know if like 15% of Americans had a passport. The number is higher today, but it's nowhere near where it should be. But that's, you know, a whole, <laughs> that's an entirely different subject. But it's just to say that I was living abroad. I was a foreigner uh, a good number of years ago. And so when you kind of, Think about it and say, oh, 15% of the Ameri of Americans at the time had a passport. Oh, so you must have been abroad at, yes, I was, <laughs> in the 90s uh, and, and, and into the early uh, 2000s. I remember wherever I went, I very much took with me that I was from Boston because it has been ultimately the city that has made me. And it's the city where my family has the deepest roots. So, yes, I took with me that I was a Boston girl. I would say, okay, yes, I'm an American, but, and, and you know, Enough people were able to to ascertain that they they could figure that out. Whether it was because 
of the of my accent when I was speaking French. They could tell that I was an American as opposed to, say, a British uh, British girl. Uh, it wasn't just down to that. It was it was also, I think, the way I carried myself. And you know, when you go abroad, you you I think you really learn what it is to be American. You can appreciate it. You can respect it a lot more. You can, I think, look at the values with a lot more of a discerning eye. It's not something that you're really made to think about, unfortunately, when you're here in the United States. But when you go abroad, you do. You start to to think about, oh, what is it that makes me American? Why am I an American? I mean, obviously, okay, I have the American citizenship, but what is it about being born there or being naturalized, but really maybe a little bit more being born there? Uh, well, no, not even necessarily. Um, because I, you know, my uncle, he he's a naturalized citizen. And... Uh, he considers himself from Boston, so I, I, I hmm, what would I, hmm, yeah, <laughs> what is it, I'm even thinking about it now, because it's something I haven't thought about in a long time, what is it that makes me American, and so it, it really is uh, an exercise that uh, maybe if we were forced to do it without having to leave the country, I think that, uh, it would be a breakthrough <laughs> and people would have much better conversations and people would have much more respect for our institutions and they would, I think, be able to carry on uh, conversations that were much more substantive. But when I was thinking about that, while I was thinking about that, I also thought about what it was that made me a Bostonian. And again, it was it was it was a great exercise. It was a wonderful exercise. And I kind of miss it because when you encounter what's new, when you encounter something that's very different from what you're used to, you immediately obviously take notes about the differences, but then you think about yourself and how it is that it's not that only that these are differences from what you know, but you're different <laughs> from what uh, you're seeing. So it's it's it it goes both ways. So it's like okay, well, this is different, and that when I was growing up, we did this, and we never did that, and you, it's the opposite. But as I said, it's also, you're not only looking at what's different and you're not only taking that all in, you're also saying, well, I'm different from you. And I'm sure you can see it because I do things this way or I would approach doing that task like this. And so it's it's not... It's not just, well, hopefully, <laughs> it's not just from a perspective of 
oh, you're different from us. It, it, it's not. And I think, I think when you travel and, and when you're in foreign countries, you're, you're forced to think about how you're different to others. So again, it's that two-way thing. But as I said, I not only did that from the perspective of being an American, but also a Bostonian. And it was really quite something to meet people and see their reactions when I told them that I was from Boston. It made me feel really good. People seem to have this idea that it was a place of culture, history, education. And there were certain things that didn't happen here that happened in other places. And it wasn't about Boston being above that because at the end of the day, uh, you know, people are people. Still, there were aspects of our culture that I think massaged us in a certain way. And so we reacted differently and we moved differently. And yeah, that was something I was very proud of. And I, I came back to this country after an extended period overseas, and it was very clear in my head what made me American. You know, so, for instance, I was, I was in France, so how the French, how they were different from me, but also how I was different from the Fr- uh, to the French— um, and you know, and as I've stressed throughout, it's it's not only in terms of my citizenship, but also my hometown. Over time, though, I'm very sorry to say, I think the things that made have made not past tense, present perfect tense. <laughs> Um, that have made Boston the exceptional place it is, I think we've gotten away from that. And certainly there were there were places that we needed, there was room to improve. There were places where we needed to evolve. And I might say that that's still the case. But I would say that Boston had a winning formula in comparison to other cities. And not that the other cities weren't great or are not great. And and it's not that the populations there aren't, you know, interesting or dynamic. But we just have this remarkable history. And the resources that we have. And I think between the two, it's just, it's painful for me to see Boston where it is. 
And so, as I said earlier, a few minutes ago, I don't see Boston being well represented by all the elected officials that we have. I don't think they reflect well what Boston is and what makes Boston special. I don't think that a lot of these activists are people in whom we can take pride. And I'm sorry to say this, but there is a real baseness, I think, and, and smallness that is set in. A real race to the bottom. And it's embarrassing. Humiliating, even. And I just, I feel like we, the people, let it happen. I think that the places where Boston needed to evolve, I think that people let trends and discussions and phenomena that were taking place outside the city. I think that there were some people that embraced them here, but somehow failed to appropriately reconcile them with Boston and where it needed to improve. I think the city for, my goodness, I would say for a good 30 years, maybe a little bit more, 30, 35 years, has let outsiders dictate who and what we should be. And that needs to stop. I think we need to get back to basics. We need to get back to a time when people stood up and applied for a position or ran for office. But the idea of being qualified wasn't The question of being qualified, the question of qualifications wasn't such a pressing one because it was the idea that, well, if you're not qualified for a position, of course you're not going to run for it. And if you're not qualified for a particular office, well, why why on earth would you run for it? And, And I think there were enough people that would have spoken out and the person would have been essentially told to take a hike. The problem is that today, that latter group, that is the people who are running for office, they're not being told to take a hike. Those that are not qualified, they're being embraced. Excuses are being made for them. And they're being gifted attributes that don't correspond to who they actually are. 
And and I mean, I think that all of that's got to stop because the way I see it is if you're running for office, you're going on an interview. And you're not being interviewed by the fat cats. And you're not being interviewed by other politicians. And you're not being interviewed by lobbyists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're being interviewed by all those people, but in their role and their capacity as one of the people, right? You're putting yourself before the people. And you're saying that I can do this job. And... I don't know. It's I I think that people need to be held to a higher standard. I think we need to start asking more demanding questions. I think we need to have high much higher expectations. Much higher. You know, we look at the results of the Boston City Council race. And it was a shocker because the power of incumbency in general is pretty strong, but I think in Boston, it's it's almost legendary, right? But uh, Ricardo Arroyo, uh, who is the counselor, um, the Boston City Councilor for District 5 in Boston, which includes uh, the neighborhoods of Hyde Park, I believe a little of Rosendale, some uh, and some of Mattapan, and then you have Kendra Lara, who was also ousted. Uh, she is the counselor for District Six, and that's West Roxbury. These again for people who are outside, a little further outside of Boston, who are a little less familiar with the geography. These are neighborhoods within Boston, so it's. Um, West Roxbury, there is some Rosendale in that area too, uh, Jamaica Plain, of course, um, and then also a little bit of Mission Hill, the back of the hill, as it's referred to. And I, I actually, this is probably not going to be something that a lot of people would want to admit because the critics, the detractors of Ricardo Arroyo point to his interactions with people, present, past and present, and some of his alleged... Um, wrongdoings, his alleged wrongdoings, um, certainly, um, that hit the headlines in particular when he was running for district attorney in Suffolk County. Um, But I think that Ricardo Arroyo, to say that he's stupid, would be wrong. He's not stupid at all. I think he's actually very bright. And he is accomplished. So it's it's a shame that 
their shortcomings. Insofar as how he interacts with other people and what some of those interactions have looked like. And I'm being diplomatic when I'm choosing my words carefully because I don't want to make what he's done and what he's alleged to have done. I don't want that. I don't want this conversation to veer toward that. I could, you know, talk about that at another point in time. But right now, I want to talk about just how he fell short because of these interactions. The allegations were certainly concerning for a lot of people. They were concerning enough that they, you know, it, it it caused some people to think of him differently, including, you know, a colleague or two on the council. You just have, you know, just the way he he would talk to people, has spoken to people, constituents, colleagues, people with whom he disagrees. And it's a shame because I think that, I think Ricardo Arroyo, if you look at his his background, his, his abilities, his skill set, his intelligence, he had the potential to do some really good things on the council. And I... Just find it, you know, a bit unfortunate that he took the political turn that he did. And some would argue that that is separate, ultimately, from his interactions. And I, I would agree, but I think um, there was some time, there were on occasions, I think there was an overlap. And even considered separately, I think looked at, in addition to maybe some other issues, I think the amalgam of it all, it, it was just really unfortunate because I think that Ricardo Arroyo had, he had, he possessed an understanding of how municipal government worked. Both his father, his father made history in getting elected to the Boston City Council. Uh, his brother, of course, was on the city council so Ricardo understood how City Hall worked. He understood the purview of the office. And again, I, I, he's smart. He's not at all stupid. And it's just, it would have been nice to see him work well with others. And, and, and I don't know. <laughs> do yeah, just do good, do good things, and I think that the potential that he had, it was, it was, it was very much eclipsed by everything else. Then you have Kendra, 
who uh, whom I said, you know, also ousted. And Kendra is, I don't think Kendra is nearly as smart as Kendra thinks she is. And with all due respect to her supporters, because, of course, she still does have some, I don't think she's as smart as they think she is. I think that Kendra came along at at the right place, the right time. And what I'll always give Kendra is that she never hid who she was. She was always authentic. And so that's why I always come back to Mary Tamer, the person whom she ran against uh, in the general in 2021, because people knew what Kendra was. And yes, I am going to bang that drum again. (laughs) I'll bang it as many times as, as I want. Thank you very much. But really, people knew what Kendra was. So for them not to be shaken and stirred, for them not to react, and then just twist and contort themselves, you know, while she, you know, once she gets elected and, 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 you know, almost really kind of subsist off of, you know, going over every little thing that she says and and does and and decrying it all and and then giving the thumbs up to someone else who's doing the same thing or several someones or many someones. I found it a perfect waste of time and I just I didn't really have time for it because again Kendra was pretty much <laughs> She was very upfront. And I didn't necessarily think that she was going to play nice on the council because she is an activist. Now, don't get me wrong, there's some activists that once they get elected, they can change hats and they can learn to move differently or they know how to move differently. They you know, there's some people who can even step into office already with an understanding of, of what they should do. But Kendra just wasn't one of those people. Or actually, it may, maybe it's not even about having an understanding or gaining an understanding. I think it's just down to Kendra just wanted to do what Kendra wanted to do. I think that her agenda, her personal politics, I think that was the lens through which she looked at everything. And I don't think she ever took those glasses off. And to her credit or no, uh, she wasn't going to play the political game, right? So, and that's politics with, a little pee, like she wasn't going to make nice with someone if she didn't particularly care for that person. You know, in that respect, (laughs) I, maybe I'm not much different on that particular point. Um, 
But I do know and I do understand that sometimes you do have to make nice with people you don't like. And sometimes it's a lot of people you have to make nice with. And you have to remember at all times, wherever you are, that there's a place and a time. And so you have to really be cognizant of that, especially if you're a public figure. I don't think she's someone that should be holding public office because her personality, what she she believes that she's entitled to do, um, and and just like I said, her agenda. I mean, it's it overrides what's good for the people, good for the people of her district. Everything that arose, she somehow tried to slot it in, make it fit within the democratic socialist paradigm. And it's good to have convictions, but if you're a public servant, you have to be able to step outside of yourself and you have to be willing to put your personal beliefs sometimes to one side. I mean, no one's saying lose your convictions, but it's it's not about you. It's not about you. So I think that, you know, for those reasons alone, and, and they're certainly sizable, I don't think she's she's not cut out for holding public office. And I don't think she really knew the district. You know, I, I don't... I don't think she really took the time to know the, uh, to learn the district. It was Jamaica Plain, and there were people that held the same views as her, and she ran because, you know, there are a number of people in that district that get out and vote that hold her views or um, were receptive to her views. And I think that her attitude was, well, they'll elect me. And I can do what I want because once I get elected, you're saying that I can do what what I want. You've given me the green light, and that's not true. And I think she found out, you know, in the recent uh, preliminary election in Boston that you serve at the will of the people. It always comes back to the people, always. Um, for people who are trying to follow— there are only eight at-large counselors. And so if there were more than eight, then there would have been a preliminary uh, in the recent election, on you know, on, on election day that we just had here in Boston. But because there were only eight, um, they were not on the ballot. Uh, and so they'll just go, they'll just go right through to November. When I say go right through, I mean that, It'll be in November that people can vote for the, these eight candidates, four of the eight candidates. The district seats, um, some of them were uncontested. And so there was no, on election day, there was no election in those particular districts. Then there were um, some districts where it was contested. Uh, the races were contested. And so in those particular parts of the city, 
voters could um, cast their cast their ballot. They could make their voices heard. And so that's what they did. And so, of course, in District 5 and 6, uh, represented by Ricardo Arroyo, still, um, and Kendra Lara, still, respectively, until um, the new people are sworn in, um, you know, there were, there were, um, there were, you know, there were, um, you know, there was the voting. I, and I want to say one other thing. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I was stunned by what happened. I don't know. I, I have to kind of go back and think about that. But what I will say is, never forget that you serve at the will of the people. And even in a day and age where Boston has sadly <laughs> um, followed, you know, along um, behind some of these other cities that are getting racked in uh, so many different respects— I think that there's still at the core enough Bostonians that are like, there's got to be some kind of decorum. There's got to be, there's got to be a red line. And, you know, people woke up. And arguably it should be in, you know, it should be in everything we breathe here in Boston, right? Uh, (laughs) It's after all Boston, uh, it, but really, it should be in everything that we breathe. It, it should be all around us. You serve at the will of the people. If you are an elected official, you serve at the will of the people. Um, and and I guess as an extension of that, I'll say that it wasn't any campaign or pack that did Arroyo and Lara and They did themselves in. So... You know, there might be some some people um, that want to do victory laps and they want to pop, you know, champagne still. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I, I, <laughs> I, I would, you know, I would maybe keep the partying to a minimum because... Arroyo and Lara were truly their own worst enemies. They really, truly were. And nothing that others did ultimately sunk them. Did it help them that they had vocal enemies, vocal opponents, vocal, very vocal detractors? Of course it didn't help them. But if Arroyo and Lara, it's not even about towing the line. If they had conducted themselves with more dignity, if they had paid a little bit more attention to the rules, and, and again, it this doesn't it's not about towing the line. It's not about conformity. It's just, a, it's about decorum. It's about, it's about norms and it's about standards. And elected officials, you're held to a higher standard. They're held to a higher standard. 
So, yeah, they really did themselves then. Uh, I'm going to go to a quick break, but when I come back, I want to talk a little bit more about some of these figures that just really don't represent Boston well. Again, you know, what I was describing at the top of the show, going abroad, and when I told people that I was from Boston, the looks I got like, oh, wow, you know, (laughs) I mean— The people that we have representing us across the board, it's not wow, let me tell you that. Uh, And some of these activists, woo boy. But let's go to a quick break, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about that. It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. You hear that? This is my Boston accent. This is my Boston accent. Yeah, it is. Shh. This is my Boston accent. This is our Boston accent. Hear it for yourself. Discover your own. This is Boston, and we are all inclusive. Estos son los sonidos de una cena. Una cena que casi no sucedió. Es una cena servida gracias a personas como tú. Debido a la crisis actual, 50 millones de personas pueden vivir con hambre este año. Feeding America está ayudando a los que más lo necesitan. Y si quieres, tú puedes ayudar también. Visita feedingamerica.org diagonal en guión español. Patrocinado por el Ad Council y Feeding America, la fuerza de 200 bancos de alimentos. Sometimes kids play with pretend guns. It's up to us to make sure they don't play with real ones. Keep your store locked and unloaded. Learn more at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel uh, Meiselman, <laughs> and you've been listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So I've been talking about just people that really are not representing what Boston really is about. And they're not, they're they're not good ambassadors. Maybe that's the way to put it for the city. And, you know, this current council, I would like to see most of them go. I'd like to see most of them go. I, you know, I wouldn't be bummed out if we got, if, you know, we had three of the four at-large counselors that were new. In fact, I'd like that. You know, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to use all four of my votes, but there are at least three votes that I'm going to give um, to new candidates, you know, new faces. 
because I just, what we have is not working. It's not working. And we need people who want to do the work. We need people. And I, and I think that's kind of become a cliche thing to say. So let me, let me expound upon that. Let me elaborate. We need people that want to do the work, but those people have to know what the work is. And they have to want to be there. And I think one of the reasons why the pool of candidates for the city council in particular has gotten so poor is because people don't vote. They they just don't want to do it. They'll hop on Twitter. Or, I'm sorry, X. They'll hop on Facebook They'll go off on TikTok. You know, they'll maybe have a go at someone on Instagram, you know, one of those Instagram do an Instagram live. But they can't, for whatever inexplicable reason, they can't get out and vote. (laughs) It really is quite something. But I, I really think that that's part of it. But it's also what we've allowed. And so I'm a big believer in what happens is what is allowed. Whether we're talking in a personal relationship or a professional one, or we're talking about public figures such as elected officials, such as a member of the Boston City Council, what we allow is what is going to happen. And so we have tolerated a string of counselors who use the Boston City Council as a stepping stone. And then we're astonished or we're frustrated or we're angry or we're outraged that we have a clown show. I'm going to stand by what I said. If it weren't for Council President Flynn, Boston City Council at large, Michael Flaherty, and District 3 uh, Boston City Councilor uh, Frank Baker, uh, Boston City Councilor for District 3, we would be in a world of hurt because they're very smart. They know the city and they have the knowledge. And so I think someone like Brian Worrell actually has, I think he has a lot of potential. I want to see what he does. Um, but he's learning. You know, this, this is, you know, his freshman term. But I think that he has potential. I really do. But insofar as knowledge of how everything works, knowing all the actors, being familiar with all the moving pieces on any given issue. That, I mean, that alone, the departure of two of the three big three, that's what I'll call them, the big three, um, that, that, that's going to hurt. That's really going to hurt. So we have to be very, very, very careful. And I really think we need to clean house. We need to clean house. 
You know, we have uh, Rootsy and Rootsy Louis-Jean, who's a counselor at large, and we have Julia Mejia, who's a counselor at large, and we have Aaron Murphy, who's a counselor at large, too. They're all running for re-election. I love Julia as a person, but, like, this campaign of hers, anti-police crusade, I just, I can't. I can't, and I love her. You know what I mean? I and and you know she has said and done she has said and done some things that I haven't liked. It's I think it's for me it's very possible to not agree with someone politically, maybe even on a number of things, and still really like the person. Um, I think there's a lot to like about Julia, but I just I don't like a lot of what she's done. And and this questioning of the police and what their role should be, and particularly without offering any kind of viable alternative, and really there isn't any, I, you know, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't get down with that. I just can't. Um, Rootsy, I think Rootsy needs to have more substance. And I just, that, and that's that. She needs to learn the city better. She, I don't know how well she knows the city. So some people might be saying, well, what are you talking about? She has supporters throughout the city. Uh, she's raised a ton of cash. Uh, she kept a level head when the council councilors were fighting each other over the redistricting of the city, uh, you know, with the census, uh, you know, that having been taken. I I appreciate that she played a role in helping to shepherd the council toward a consensus. But it's not that and that alone that, for me, that, that's not going to make her a player. I, I think that she needs to gain a lot more knowledge in a lot more areas, and I think she needs to learn the city a lot better. I'm being honest. Then you have Erin Murphy. Erin Murphy, I I don't know what she's doing on the council, and and I've been pretty upfront with that. I don't think she knows what she's doing, and I don't think she really adds anything. While the ceremonial aspect of being a counselor is certainly there, and I don't think you can deny it, and I don't think you should. Uh, she is a face of the city as a member of the Boston City Council, but she she also she doesn't know the city really at all. I don't even really feel like she knows all of the neighborhood that she hails from, to be honest with you. Uh, she certainly doesn't have a grasp of the issues, and she's more concerned about stamping out any criticism, however valid it might be, of her performance, of her record in office, than actually improving her record in office or actually delivering so that she'll have something that is that would constitute a record 
in office. So I, you know, I, I, I'm just, we need, we need new people. We really do. Uh, I think there is room for at least two new counselors uh, at large. I do. I really, really do. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I just, it's time. It's time. I think people have had their chance. Um, should any of these people get another chance? Um, again, it's still with, the, it, they, it should still be very much at the forefront of their minds. Wow. Somehow, some way, I got another chance. I'm still serving at the will of the people, but I'm still serving at the will of the people. Um, and I want to say a last couple of things um, because we're winding down. And this also speaks to, you know, just being informed because, again, for me, the people that I have spoken about, like, you know, some of the things that have really bothered me is not having this knowledge. Uh, this knowledge in, in, in so far as how city, the city council works, how their district works, what their district is. Um, you know, I, I want to also say that I don't think it's right to stand up and run for office and make offers, uh, make promises rather that you, you very well, you know very well, or you should know very well that you can't keep. And so let me give you some quick examples. William King is, so he, along with Ben Weber, made it through the primary. This is not William King's first rodeo. Now, let me be clear. I don't find William King offensive. He seems nice. I think he and his wife, I've said this publicly uh, before. I've also said it privately. Uh, I'll say it again publicly. Uh, I think that he and his wife make a beautiful, charming, they're accomplished couple. But here he is running his third time, not second, third time for the Boston City Council. And he can run 10 times. I don't care. But every time he stands up, I expect him to make promises, if he's going to make a promise, that falls within the purview of the office which he's running. He was quoted in the Herald, Boston Herald, as saying he's going to fix the D. A Boston city councilor cannot fix the D. You can advocate for its improvement. And then what I would do, particularly since he is a district councilor, I would tie it in, uh, tie an issue uh, that the T, uh, that, that the, his, his con constituents are, the people that he wants to be his constituents are having with the D. That would look really good. That would come across really well. But he's talking about fixing the T. That's absurd. He can't do that. He doesn't have the authority to do that. No city councilor does. If he, if he, should he prevail, he, he won't have that authority. He won't have that uh, power. And then you have Catherine Vitale, uh, who shouldn't be running for anything other than a bus. And, uh, and, that's, and that's that. She's promising to fix methanol miles. She's promising to fix the schools. She's promising to fix Boston. Well, fixing Boston, that at the end of the day falls on the mayor, shared with the council, but it's the mayor who really does most of the lifting there. Um, as for methanol mile, 
that is very much a partnership that 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 involves a partnership uh the mayor and the governor you know state reps uh state senators but also uh congressional uh you know uh the representatives as well as the senator it's all kind of all hands on deck but certainly um i think those that um because it's it's really a statewide problem at this point uh certainly those um on beacon hill you know the governor and then of course the legislature i think they play a big role uh in conjunction with the mayor but for will to be talking about uh i'm sorry will catherine talking about fixing methanomile that that's absurd um and then fixing boston oh that's very broad um, but I could go on and on, and I actually have, uh, so I'm going to have to cut it short here. Um, but thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.